This is the Orange Podcast. Conversations with Orange City Council for the local community. And this is Alan Reader coming out from behind the face mask to thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of the Orange Podcast. Some more interesting ideas and stories coming to you this week about your local community right here in Orange. This week, what kind of event could be happening soon in town that could bring high-profile ABC reporter Michael Brissenden, together with a former cabinet minister who discovered his birth mother lived here in Orange? Stick around to find out what that event will be and how you can end up attending. First up on the show today, after the milestone decision at a council meeting this week about removing trees from the site of a proposed new sports precinct, there are still heaps and heaps of questions to be answered about what happens next. You're listening to the Orange Podcast. On Monday this week, a special meeting of Orange City Council with only one item on the agenda. That was to decide the future of some trees on the site of a proposed new sporting precinct. To find out what happens now that the council has decided, decided to remove those trees and given that DA the go-ahead, um, Community Recreational and Something or Other Services Director Scott Maunder. Scott, thanks for joining us. Such a long title. Uh, we, we've, the council's now that made that decision, um, particularly to remove 250 trees that the Heritage Council said we could. Um, since then, what's happened to clarify exactly which of those trees and at which end of the, of the block we can remove them? So if I just go back a step, we did a lot of work with Heritage uh, on this project because it's right next to the old Bloomfield Hospital. Uh, and they identified that for this initial stage, they were happy for us to remove the trees that would associated with the two stadiums, so the, the rectangular field and also the athletics precinct. So there was a technicality in the, in the approval from, from Heritage. So we've now sought back to Heritage to formalise those two areas, and we'll expect those back in a couple of weeks, and then we can commence works. That's a Section 60 work certificate. That's does it. it. Does that sort of draw lines on maps to say we can take, them, take trees out in this part of the site but not that part of the site? Correct, yeah. So it'll define it. So it was associated with the civil works that would be required, which is the next stage. Yep. Uh, and they did that really to let us get the project underway, but they also wanted to consider a landscape plan uh, and see what that would look like down the track. So we've done a fair bit of work around that and, ha- and had... Uh, previously, previous to the approval commenced that work. Uh, they just wanted to work with us to get that more formalised. First cab off the rank, those 250 trees. You've got a, a tender or a contractor, a, a specialist business that can remove 250 trees. Right. I understand they come from the Blue Mountains, so there'll be a bit of a COVID delay while they work it out. Yeah, that's right. So we don't know when the, when the uh, current restrictions will end. They're permitted under the public health uh, order to, to work now. Um, but obviously we'll, we've just got to wait for that approval to come through and then see where we are with the public health orders. They're a specialist firm that's got some extra skills in removing large numbers of large trees. Yeah, that's right. It was one of the, um, one of the advantages of their submission so they can remove the whole tree, including the stump and roots, so we don't have to come back and do that. So it's not just f- felling the tree. Uh, it's actually removing it all, all the uh, stump and roots, as I said, to allow you to do the civil work. So that just lets the, the development proceed. Um, we're also recycling that those trees that we've, we're felling. Uh, so that will go to a Sydney company and that'll turn up in office desks and, and plasterboard and things like that. Back to the Heritage Council, they'd like to have a closer look 
at your treeing plans for the whole site before they say it's okay to remove the other 250 trees in other parts of the site. That's correct. It's a landscape master plan. What's the latest on that? So we've been working on that. As I said, I, I received a draft today, Friday, the 2nd of July. Um, so we'll just work on, on that with with internally. We'll also talk to some environmental groups across Orange and we'll also talk to Heritage. So they're the next two stages and then we'll finalise that plan and then we'll submit that for consideration by Heritage Council. Big picture, you're still looking at removing 500 plus trees. How many trees will be planted? At this stage, at least that number. So we're looking at creating a parkland around the sports precinct. So I don't know if people have seen them, but it will comprise walking trails around the, the Kirtledge so you can get around the, the, the fields. It'll have uh, little nodes, which are, are gathering spaces or picnic areas. So that'll have some shelter, it'll have water, it'll have some um, small-scale play equipment. But the whole precinct will be connected. Uh, and then there'll be clumps and groves of trees supporting that. And that will then have a relationship with the southern nine holes and the rest of the Bloomfield site. So it's an integrated plan. Um, and really, if you think of the, the facilities nestled within uh, a treed landscape with natural shrubs and bushes, that's what, that's what it'll, it'll look like. One of the problems of watching from the sidelines a game of sport in orange is the wind whistling across from Mount Canobolis. <laughs> will those trees do something to interrupt that flow of cold wind on a cold July morning? Yeah, they will. Uh, and with the topography of the ground, where a lot of those fields are, are below the street level, so Forest Road's a high point. So there'll be a natural uh, shelter, but certainly that'll the protection in both winter and summer from the from the sun, obviously. And these fields are multi-purpose, so there's three cricket fields uh, designed on that space as well. So it'll have some fantastic vantage points and shelter for for playing teams and spectators. That's uh, planning approval stage one. The next stage involves um, the concept plans for the, the buildings, the on-site, the stadium, the athletics track. Um, that's going to be a, quite a large number of million dollars, so it doesn't get decided by Orange City Council. Who gets to decide that? So Western Region Planning Panel will decide that, and in that we'll provide a lot more detail around some of these elements, so certainly around landscaping. The grandstand design we've been working on with Heritage as well, so that's a much more mature document. There was a, a photograph, there was a, a, an image published this week, so that's pretty close to what it will be. Uh, and we just get to the next level of detail, but essentially the layout will remain as it is, and the things that get mature are around um, parking, trees, picnic areas, those things I've mentioned, and the actual placement of elements. And then um, and then when we get the detailed design of, of the actual stadiums, that, that'll, that'll be another DA, but it'll reference this process now, so it'll, it'll just be the next level of detail. So when do you think the development application that'll include the concept plans for the buildings and the rest of the trees, when will that be lodged and when will it get to the, what's the next stage after that? So I think we're aiming for that to be lodged within the next few weeks. And so then I'll go through a similar process. It'll be on public exhibition for comment, and then it will go to Heritage, and then it'll, it'll come back um, to the panel for their determination. Uh, it does also need to go to our new council, uh, and so they will then decide what they want to do with that, so they can either make a submission or not, but they're not the, the determining authority, and it'll go to the panel for that determination. So in all reality, we're probably looking at a at the next stage being approved, all things going well, sort of around end of October. And how far does it usually take after a, a final approval before shovels in the ground and tenders let? 
Uh, so for this, the next process is the civil work. So we'll do what we've done for this stage with the trees. We'll, we'll run that process in parallel. And then presuming that we'll, there'll be a, a positive outcome from the planning process with a start date similar to that. So whenever whenever it comes back out of the panel, if they approve it, then we can start and it's only the mobilisation. So it's a similar process is what we're looking at now. To take you back one step that you mentioned there, the next stage of approval will be decided by a council after the September election. In a sense, that lets the, the community have a say about whether they think this sporting precinct is a good idea. That might, might be something that candidates might, uh, that uh, voters might keep in mind as they're choosing their candidate. They do have a say, absolutely. They're not a determining authority, so they, they don't get to decide whether the DA is approved or not. They can certainly present a view. So we've seen, we've seen lots of examples of that over recent years around the council making a submission to the Western Region Planning Panel. They don't, sometimes they support the development, sometimes they don't, but ultimately it's the panel that makes the decision. Since the council's decision on Monday night, there's been community reaction. Some people were sad. Other people are just waiting. You know, why does it take so long? Um, this process of democracy, it'd be nice. It'd be easier if someone could just decide it and get on with it. But are all these these hoops and democratic um, approval stages important? I've always so certainly in in all the projects I've ever been involved in, the more input you can get into a process, you have a better outcome. So uh, all the different things that we've looked at and considered along the way will make this project better. Uh, certainly the strong involvement with Heritage has, has been great. Uh, we've certainly taken on board commentary from the community and we'll incorporate that. We'll seek to involve them in the, in the landscape plan. Now that, now that we've, we've got to this stage where we're starting the project and we're not arguing about where it should be or whether we should keep pine trees or whether we should create a parkland or whatnot, we can get into that, okay, this is what we've got. Uh, what can we do to make it the best asset for the region and generations to come? Scott Morder, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Alan. All going well, the Orange Readers and Writers Festival aims to be back better than ever this year. The program has just been released for the event to be held over two days, July 30 and 31, at the Hotel Knoblis. From Orange City Library, Jasmine Weidler is pleased the festival has continued to grow from its early beginnings. Well, the festival started in 2015 and we really had the idea of bringing readers together with writers because people really enjoy reading and enjoy their books and they want to know a bit more about the authors and maybe even meet them and um, ask some questions and talk about and engage about the book that they've read. So seven years on, except for last year, obviously, but um, yeah, seven years on, it's still going. What um, what do you contribute that success to? Well, I think it's just um, been building each year. Each year we get more and more um, guests come along and also we've had a really fantastic lineup of authors. So I think it's beginning known as a really nice um, event to come to and a really intimate Readers and Writers Festival where you can rub shoulders with authors. Authors get to meet other authors. They get to engage with their readers. They get to um, sign books and meet people face to face. And we've 
we've really had some great um, great writers, including people like David Astle, and uh, he was also a winner in the Banjo-Patterson Writing Awards. And since then, we've had um, Carolyn Overington and Dr Julia Baird, who you may know off the drum, and the Monday Morning Cooking Club, who are a wonderful collection of ladies, and Deborah Adelaide, and even Meg Keneally. So some really wonderful writers have come along each, um, each year, and so we're building a great reputation for a great event. So this year you've got um, five uh, fiction and non-fiction authors. Um, tell us a little bit about them. Well, we're very pleased to have the former Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Affairs Minister Robert Tickner. He has a great affinity with Orange. He's written a book about um, his discovery of his biological parents and it's called Ten Doors Down, the story of an extraordinary adoption. And, of course, he found his birth mother came from Orange. So he's really pleased to be coming to tell his story at the festival. Then we have um, crime author Petronella McGovern. She actually hails from Bathurst. She wrote a story called Six Minutes, which was fantastic, a really thrilling crime story. And so this time she's written one called The Good Teacher, which we're sure is going to be even better than her first novel. It's a bit of a suspense drama type thing, isn't it? Definitely. Like, is the teacher being good or is the teacher being evil? Is she acting out of her heart or is there something um, a bit more spooky and sinister behind it? And then we have ABC journalists. People will know Michael Brissenden from Four Corners. He's written a crime thriller and this one's called Dead Letters. It's his second book and it's really about the convergence convergence of all these crime groups in Sydney and the relationship between a cop and a journalist and how they uncover um, what's happened um, behind the murder of a, an MP. Then we also have something really different with um, photography curator Helen Ennis and uh, she's written a book about modernist photographer Olive Cotton who had connections with Cowra and it's a really warm and beautiful book about um, the photographer. And she was um, married to Max Dupain That's way right. back in the day. That's right so it's about her life story and maybe how she was a little bit overlooked and wasn't really discovered until much later in life with a, a great exhibition at the, um, the Art Gallery in, in Sydney. So that's a wonderful story and um, to finish off the day, we'll have Todd Alexander, and he threw away his corporate career to run a vineyard and accommodation business in the Hunter Valley. His first book was 30,000 Bottles of Wine and a Pig Called Helga. And that was an hilarious romp through um, him and his partner, Jeff, trying to start up a business. And really, they were city folk and had no idea. You know, they didn't even know about tank water because that ran out. And um, they didn't know how to look after animals. And they were just really quite hopeless. Well, he survived all that and has put together a second book. And this one's called You've Got to Be Kidding, A Shed Load of Wine and a Farm Full of Goats. So this time around... They've bought a new property. Further tales of their antics. Yeah, so the adventure continues. So we're really thrilled to have him rounding out the day. And also um, we'll be having a workshop on the day before the main festival event. So the workshop will be on the Friday, the 30th of July, and we'll have Kay Soderland 
talking about conservation of your items. So how to preserve textiles, fabrics, metals, paper, and also preserve your family heritage and how to do that and the um, best way to go about it. So she's an expert in her field and that workshop's just $35 and will be an all-day workshop with her. So that'll be of great interest to anybody looking to um, preserve family heirlooms and photographs and items and things like that? Yeah, certainly any um, treasures in your family collection and we ask you to bring one along to talk about um, on the day and um, she'll give you advice about that. Okay and with all of the current COVID goings on um, what's, what steps are we taking to make sure that the event is COVID safe? Well we've got all our fingers crossed, toes, hands, legs crossed hoping that um, the health regulations will lift the um, the current lockdown and so everyone will be able to travel freely by the time this event's on at the end of July. And so we're monitoring what's going on and so far the numbers are steady so we're very hopeful that um, the lockdown will lift and we'll be able to host our event as per usual. And as part of the Readers and Writers Festival, you're announcing the Banjo-Patterson Writing Festival winners? Yeah, that's right. So we'll have um, announcing the winners of the Banjo-Patterson Writing Awards. We've asked the Mayor along to do that. There are some local winners. They've all been contacted and hopefully they'll be able to come along to the event. But we use the event as um, our launching pad to announce the winners and their works will be published on the Central West Library's website. So every want to be able to read their work. So that includes the short story winner and the contemporary poetry winner and they each win $2,000 and then the um, students or the children's awards, um, there's three winners, first, second and third and they will also be announced on the day. So where can people find out more information or book their tickets? Um, for the tickets, the tickets for the main day of the festival on Saturday the 31st of July, the tickets are $95 to hear those five authors speak and that includes morning tea and lunch. And you can get your tickets from the Centre West Library's website online. But if you'd like to come in in person, you're most welcome to call into um, Orange City Library in Bing Street to collect your ticket. Jasmine Weidler from Orange City Library was talking with comms team member Liv Sargent. Thanks for joining us for the show this week and a special call out to listeners who catch the program each week on Orange Community Radio. Glad you're enjoying it. Remember you can download this show from the Orange City Council website or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, for the Orange Podcast, this is Alan Reader. Bye for now.